0: We're back with the District 3 podcast, episode 143. We've reached the milestone of 143 on our way to 200. Maribel couldn't be here today, but I'll be doing this episode by myself. But I'm accompanied by three great people from our community, and I'm excited to really uh, learn from them and hear their stories and for you all to hear their stories as well. Um, Today's topic, we're going to be talking about DACA. DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, is an executive order that Barack Obama passed back in June 15, 2012. It's not law, it can be taken away, and a lot of the times people have tried to take this executive order away from folks. Um, And on August 2012, applications were taken for the first time, so a lot of folks listening today applied for this permit and remain under this permit as well. Um, today, I'm introducing three people from our community. Um, the three people are Amber Mendez, uh, Kevin Asanza, and Manuel De Leon. These are folks from northwest Arkansas that are under the DACA permit, and I kind of just wanted to ask them some questions, you know, just about themselves and also about, you know, what, what they feel. A lot of the times, um, you know, you have DACA being taken away uh, or people trying to take DACA away. And it's such a stressful thing to live, you know, day by day, not knowing what your future looks like, being uncertain if you should buy that house, if you should uh, invest in something, not knowing what tomorrow might hold. And I know that these three people probably think about that on a daily basis, just the same way, you know, uh, Myra, my wife does, because she's under DACA as well. And she applied back in 2012. So I will start with you, Ambar. Um, One of the things that we're talking off air is that you're the person that got me involved in community activism Um, back in like 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. um, I was doing Bulldog News in Spring High School, and I used to slip immigration stories in there. Um, And I think you saw my interest and you said, hey, we have this activist group that we do at my house. Mm -hmm. Uh, My brother helps out with it and helps lead it. Um, And there's other friends and family that are also part of it. Um, Do you want to come and be a part of it? And I did. And from that day one, I was hooked. I was always there and I've never stopped. Uh, First of all, thank you for inviting me to that (laughs) meeting because honestly, I am very appreciative of the people that I've met and, you know, growing as a leader surrounded by those people that uh, the majority of them were older than us right mm-hmm, correct we were like the youngest ones you were like 16 i was 17.
1: yes we were definitely some of the younger ones i i still remember that day vividly um mm-hmm. irving because we actually had met way back in the day when i was like yeah. in elementary school and you were in middle school And then somehow our paths crossed again, and then here you are at my house helping me with a a new movement.
0: Your cousin was my neighbor.
1: My cousin was your neighbor. Um, I still remember, if anyone doesn't know, Irvin has really good soccer skills, at least as an elementary schooler, I I thought he did. Um, and so whenever That's he came facts. to my house, <laughs> yeah. you, laughing, <laughs> uh, I, I feel uh, like he doubts you. Yeah, um, on, but you know, it like you said, it was something new we were starting. There wasn't something like that in the state of Arkansas yet. Um, and it's amazing to look back and think what the effects that those meetings had and the ripple effect it's had across the state of Arkansas, because at the time people were scared to come out and say, I'm undocumented and i afraid. Um, I was a little bit afraid, but I was telling myself I wasn't. Um, But I think one of the main things whenever it comes to, to that time in my life in 2009 and 2010 is that as a high schooler, I started realizing that the teachers didn't have the answers for me. I started realizing that, yes, I could get all the straight A's and be a pro athlete and do all these things, but it didn't define my future, it, yeah. it wasn't guaranteed like it was for my classmates. Mm-hmm. And so when I started asking these questions to my teachers, I started asking them out loud instead in front of my other peers. Because I started to realize that I didn't know who sitting next to me was actually in the same boat but they just didn't know how to ask. They didn't know how to come out of the shadows and make those those questions. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really appreciative that you and everyone else who trusted me to come over and have those meetings and, and figure out how to engage the community. Um, I think it, it definitely set something off for the state of Arkansas.
0: And I remember hearing from you how when you were in Sprino High School, you went to the counselor to ask for scholarships.
1: Yes, and yes.
0: Can you talk about that? Because that stuck with me, like. Anytime that I go speak uh, at high schools or at the University of Arkansas, uh, and I always go back to that and I tell folks how it was back then.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can you talk a little bit about it that? It was
1: very different um, because I think, so, now looking back at it, strangely enough, as an adult, almost 30 years old now, looking back at it now, I realize that she answered out of fear because she didn't have the answers. And mm-hmm. so she her response was reactive instead of responsive. And so I went to my school counselor at the time, the person who was designated to me, and you know, I, I kind of had this breakdown and I let her know, I, I don't know what's next for me. You know, you guys are putting all this pressure on me that, that I can't excel and I can do all these things, but I actually can't. The reality is that I there there's gonna be roadblocks in front of me that I just don't know how to maneuver or, or go around. And her response was, you know what, you're just going to have to settle with the fact that you don't have a future. Mm. Um, and that, that was the cheese pad. That's what yeah. I needed. Um, instead of letting that hold hold me back and, and make me feel like I wasn't valuable to society, I decided to figure out how to make my own way. Um, you hear my brother, me and my brother say that all the time. Um, if there's not a way, we'll make it. And so that that's kind of how I feel like our parents have had to raise us in Mm -hmm. in this mentality. And but, you know, the the biggest thing that I I took from that in that day and the reason I I would bring it up and talk about it is because not all people have the are in the mental health space to process it like that. You don't know you're talking to kids. Um, And if you say that to a child and you tell them that they're not valuable, you don't know how that's going to affect them. So that's why I decided to speak up because I I just felt like what if she told the wrong person during the wrong time Mm. this message um, and how is it going to affect them? They need to know that they are valuable and they, they deserve a future.
0: And you said almost 30 Mm -hmm. which I'm 30 so no no hate on 30 year olds but (laughs) but you're um, you're uh, still under 30 and but you're like one of the OGs of organizing and like for undocumented people in Arkansas Um, and that's crazy right because you're you're still so young but yet like we all started at a very young age Mm -hmm. and we didn't know what we were doing there was there wasn't no blueprint to how to organize in the immigrant community everything we were kind of learning ourselves and sometimes doing wrong things but doing it with good intentions mm-hmm. um and uh and yeah i think i i'm really proud of us you know that we that we what we did and and you know the base that we created for organizing in arkansas and and hopefully and i think things are better now than what they were counselors are a little bit Definitely. more aware there's yes. some here or there that aren't but you know there's great teachers in springdale and rogers um, who really, and in places like NWAC at the University of Arkansas, too, that now really try to give the resources to the students, and there isn't that much uncertainty like there was back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about that, Kevin? I mean, you went through the system, too. I think you you went to Rogers, right? Is yes. It, was so it I, Rogers High School or Heritage?
2: No, Rogers High
0: School. And then you went to the University of Arkansas as well.
2: No. So first, after Rogers High School, I ended up going to NWAC, um, and I actually got hooked on NWAC, because I am a DACA recipient. Mm. So Juanita Franklin has this awesome program at NWAC. It's called The Live Program. Yep. <laughs> Shout out to Juanita, of course. Yeah. And in that program, it was really just an all-inclusive uh, program to people of low income, low resources, people who often are first-generation students coming into the college scene or university scene. And because of her, I ended up going to NWAC and knowing that DACA, although it is does affect my whole life, it doesn't define me. It only adds on to who I am. And so because of her, I ended up going to NWAC, and eventually I ended up going to the U of A, where uh, Rafael and actually admissions also helped me out, figure out my status with DACA and so many other people along the way. But I remember my DACA status and my education go hand in hand and really affected with where I am right now and what I love to do, which is you know advocating for people and equal rights.
0: So... Like I said, DACA uh, initiated back in 2012. Um, how did you hear about this program, Annie? Um, And what were, like, your first thoughts whenever you saw that it was something that could help you?
3: <clears throat> so, I mean, at first, I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't know I was, like, undocumented. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I realized when I was in my probably eighth grade year of middle school, um, I think that's when I heard about it. Um, like, it came to a shock to me i was like man like i'm different from everyone else like i guess i'm the black sheep Mm. and so you know i guess um when i heard about it i was like well you know at least there's something that's going to come out of this you know i get to have a social security uh driver's license you know open up lines of credit you know compared to my parents that you know don't have that opportunity at all and so you know it was you know, I'm glad for you know Obama for allowing something like that to happen, and it's just weird. Like, I guess it's like a fate with God. You know, uh, it just landed there. You know, gave me an opportunity. Um, like, if it wasn't for DACA, I don't know, I don't know what I'd be doing. You know, yeah.
0: like I'd have been lost. So, I gotta give credit to the folks because I mean DACA was passed. You know, by President Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And I say passed. That's probably not the correct term. I mean, it was an executive order that he created. Um, that allowed folks to stay legally in this country and also pursue a driver's license and, mm-hmm. and be able to work legally. Uh, but then credit's also due to the activists that were you know, doing sit-ins in like, these campaign offices of Obama and other places to build that pressure for Obama to actually take the initiative to, to make this executive order happen. Um, do you remember where you were at, Kevin, when, when this um, executive order Happened?
2: No. So for me, I didn't even know I qualified for DACA until I started like applying for schools and like um, they're like, "Hey, your status is a little funky," um, and that's how I a found little. out. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit what, funky. What uh,
0: on FAFSA? Or was it on FAFSA?
2: Yeah, I think it was just yes on FAFSA, and then just applying for scholarships and like universities in general. That's when I found out that like my DACA status was something that really was a game changer to pursuing an education, something as simple as pursuing an education, which I think so many of my peers had a different journey than I did. Uh, But I I can't remember when it was uh, set into fruition, but I do know that it's made a great impact in my life. And I think I do remember where I was whenever President Trump uh, denounced DACA. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was studying at NWAC and I was on my second year at NWAC and I remember it was a Tuesday and I had classes and I just, you know, I, I didn't go to classes. And that was the first time I ever missed class uh, because it, I worked so hard to get to where I am uh, while entering into college. And so I thought I was never gonna miss a class no matter what, but I remember that brought me down. I remember that day really well. How about you, Amber? W-
1: Sorry, I I was remembering at? about the second day <laughs> that she, he was just talking yeah. about. Um, you know, I was actually laying in bed whenever I got the text message. So one of one of the OGs for DACA was very own Arkansas, too, Rosa Velasquez. She, mm-hmm. you know, Arkansas has a lot of talent in case people don't realize it. Um, and I remember her texting me and letting me know. And then I got a text message after that from my brother. Then my mom called me. And then, like, all of these calls start rolling in, right, because what – Something that we've all dreamt about is now happening, um, and I remember what I what I remember more clearly is the day that I got my permit. Um, I wanted to tell my husband, who also, if it weren't for DACA or my immigrant status, I would have never met. So, you know, sometimes you just got to take the wins where they are. And, and if it weren't for this experience, I wouldn't have the life that I have now. And I appreciate the life that I have. But I wanted to tell him, right? He wanted, I wanted him to be the first person to know. And at the time, we lived in Fayetteville, and he worked in Springdale. And I ran from our house because we only had one car at the time. I ran from our house to his workplace and showed up beat red and was like my my permit is here mm. i can officially work wherever i want and the very first place i worked at was bath and body works <laughs> and you know it sounds very lame at entry level but whenever you grow up thinking that's never going to be a possibility besides yeah. the typical jobs i mean it, i appreciate it every day i appreciated every moment of Of having to work up on Mondays and wake up on Mondays because that was something on TV that I would always see people hated Mondays and work and I was like "Yay, I get to hate Mondays Mm. now (laughs) Um, and so it's it's all these small wins that came with it that that just the small moments that I remember
0: and uh, Kevin and Manny were talking about how they didn't really like put much attention into their being undocumented until they reached like after high school level but you were very aware of it because you were in an immigrant rights group, so like you would probably hear about it every week. Yes. Uh, can you talk about those experiences? Did you have any moments where things happened that because of your undocumented status, maybe necessarily you couldn't do something that you wanted to do?
1: So there were several moments. Um, so wh- one of the main things, and, and still something I wor- I'm working through is, um, I would always ask my parents why we couldn't go to Disney World like everyone else. What they didn't explain to me was that they were scared of Interstate 10, which is notorious for having um, immigration checkpoints, Mm. um, back then specifically. And so they would tell me we couldn't go to Disney World because of immigration. And so in my mind, I started associating Mickey Mouse to immigration. And to this day, I still see him as Border Patrol. Um, So going to Disney World, I know you're going in a couple of weeks, um, (laughs) is is always a trip for me just because of that. But then my parents eventually made it happen, right? They were like, we need to stop giving them this as an excuse. Um, But then driver's license. Um, One of the things I, I recently posted this story online, a lot of people were surprised by it, but... Whenever I was growing up, you know, you have to drive to school. Um, your parents were, they, they got to make a living. You, eventually, you got to start driving. Um, and I remember driving one day from school to my house, and a cop pulled me over for going 27 and a 25, and him in, trying to intimidate me into telling him my status. And just as everyone knows, you don't have to tell your status to a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I remember him putting me in the back of the police car, telling me he was going to take me to my house, wouldn't let me make a phone call to anyone. My car got towed. And the whole time I was wearing a shirt that said education, not deportation. (laughs) Um, But it was just one of those moments um, that even as simple as not being able to drive legally was a burden um, because... It was a risk, right? It. I got lucky because I knew how to talk my way out of it. But what if I didn't? What if the police officer was more intimidating, or, or had done something else? Um, so it, it's experiences like that that I don't take lightly. I don't take lightly the fact that I can drive now um, legally, and I don't have to worry about if a car, if a cop pulls me over. The worst he's gonna do is give me a speeding ticket, because now mm-hmm. I do speed um, on purpose. <laughs> don't say that on the air. <laughs> <laughs> um, But you know, I'm gonna
0: play this at your next court here, <laughs> she, said it on the air. she said that she does. Uh,
1: um, no, prove, uh, prove uh, innocent till proven guilty. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's just things that I don't take lightly now. Um, even now, like, you know, whenever me and my mom go out, who drives? I do, because she still d- isn't able to drive without mm-hmm. a license. And so, um it's little things that it's hard to explain to people who have always had the conventional status of citizenship or residency Mm -hmm. that it's hard to explain why i turn down the music when i see a police officer like i just i look for all the things i don't want to give them a reason to pull me over um so it's just little things that day to day that we go through
0: you know i didn't i i mean i had realized of course that like because most of my friends, for some reason, my best friends were undocumented. Mm-hmm. I didn't choose them, right? They just happened to be my best friends. They were all undocumented.
1: It's because we're cool. Yeah. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and most of them were part of like an immigrant rights group. Like I just stuck around people that like to do community work because I related to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one time we went, we were gonna go see, uh, I think it was Jackass. I don't know, I think it might have been 3D. I'm not sure which one it was. But this was before before DACA had passed, and it was rated R. Um, and it was myself and my two undocumented friends, and they weren't allowed in because they didn't have an ID. They couldn't prove that they were over 18 years old. And, and uh, the, they, they told me, they were like, no, you should go in and still watch I'm like, no, I'm not gonna go in. Like, that's, first of all, that's rude you know, to, to do that. <laughs> but then at that moment I was like, wow, something as simple as not being able to watch a movie because you don't have an ID. Uh, and I imagine the more serious things of not being able to have a driver's license uh, not being able to leave the country or travel to go see your dying family members when they're mm-hmm. sick. Um, have you all had experiences with that, with not being able to, like, go see family members that are either sick or, or that passed away in, in the countries of your parents?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'll take this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely have. You know, I, I'm super fortunate that I live here, and my parents uh, are now able to travel within, you know, back and forth from Mexico, which is where most of our family is at. Uh, I do not have that privilege yet and, um, and so there's been times where my parents travel back only recently and they go visit their family you know and uh, I remember the first time they went to go visit back you know my mom uh, it was the first time they went to go visit in general it had been around 20 something years since they went to go visit because they never they weren't able to and so I remember I couldn't go so my whole family went without me. Yes. And I remember, yes, yeah, super tough. I remember mm-hmm. my mom, she, right before she left, she was like, And I just remember that really broke me because it's like, I don't have that privilege, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm here with a lot of opportunities, you know, and so much more privilege here than a lot of other people. Uh, but, yes, I totally relate to that, and it's, it's something I don't ever wish on anyone. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I think sometimes one of the things that people don't take into consideration is the the mental health toll that the situation takes. Because you were just talking about the the movie Ticket, but even something as simple like that can sometimes send you into an existential crisis Mm. Um, because it it brings everything back, right? I can't even see a movie, I can't drive, I can't do this, I can't do that. And so it's really easy to go into that dark place. Mm. Um, And I think we have A lot of DACA recipients, I won't speak for everyone, but a lot of DACA recipients I've seen have built a very strong mental health wall Mm. um, that kind of goes up immediately. And it's like, no, I got to smile and I got to. And so I think sometimes that's why we're so driven and why we have so many projects and so many things that we're involved in because Mm. we try to stay preoccupied. Um, from those thoughts, but I definitely think that the that there's there's a mental health part that goes into it of that us into existential crises constantly. Right? I anytime I interview at a company, the one of their questions is always like, "Where do you see yourself in five years?" And I'm like, "Well, I only look two years in advance <laughs> um, because uh, for people that don't know, you for as a doctor recipient, you have to renew every two years." Um, and so I, I really only look two years in advance Mm. at a time because it's, it's hard to answer that question. And that's what I tell them. I can't answer the five years, but I'll tell you where I'll be in two.
0: And then that that fee, that renewal fee, is mm-hmm. it's four ninety five, right? Or is it four sixty five? It's
1: four ninety five, no. um, and then it and then if you need a lawyer <laughs> to renew, which a lot of people do because some of them have complicated cases, yeah. um, so everyone's situation is very different, and, and lawyers charge from three hundred dollars to fifteen hundred to help with renewals. And there are free re- resources out there, but they're also a process
0: yeah i'm gonna I'm gonna plug that every every November through December, I do fundraise for daCA renewal fees. Um, and luckily we've been able in the past two years we've been able to raise like seventeen thousand. Uh, dollars to to give to people and, and fully cover their DACA fees so make sure you look out for that in November and December uh, whenever we fundraise in case you need help because I know 495 is a lot of it's a lot of money
1: it's a lot and especially if you're married to someone else who's a DACA recipient that's oh, yeah. a household now that is like a thousand dollars in right Whoa. and then so that's that's sometimes a lot of and even if maybe your siblings and your parents are helping you with a fee, like there, it's not just the 495. Sometimes, sometimes there's someone else around you that is also in the same boat.
0: And we try to also do uh, free DACA clinics in the area, so we'll probably do one probably early next year. We might squeeze in one this year, just and we bring some attor- free attorneys and people can come in and uh, get their work permit filled out and sent or either prepared to be sent. so you don't have to spend those those uh, thousands of dollars that sometimes people spend uh, with attorneys and other stuff. Um, so you all have had uh, DACA for years now. Um, what is what has DACA given to you as an individual? Um, and what are some goals that you still you know want to do if you have a business, if you, I know Amber, you're a realtor, um, and I want to talk about that as well. Um, I want to know like what DACA is still giving you today. Um, and whoever wants to start first, go ahead. Um, so I I do um,
3: I do have a little story. Um, I created like I don't know. I'm weird, I guess. My my dream was to become a marine mm-hmm. here in the United States, mm-hmm. um, but you know with uh, my my status, that was impossible. So I guess um, I had to, you know, look something else. So I didn't want to work for someone. I mean, obviously, I did. After high school, I was doing, like, odds and ends, and, you know, I did. I worked in a sheet metal plant. I didn't like it. So I, I have an uncle who has a, a countertop business. He does, like, granite marble quartz, natural stone countertops. And I learned a little bit from him, and then I... I didn't like working with them because, you know, I needed more money. Mm-hmm. And so I went with another guy. It uh, lasted there like a year. And my dad, he was doing the same thing too. Or stepdad. Um, stepdad. He was working with someone else. And so we were kind of fed up and we were like, you know, let's do something. And, you know, obviously he didn't, he doesn't have anything. And like at the time I had DACA and I was like, you know, I'm going to take advantage of this. So I started investigating how to open up a business and... We, I looked into an LLC and so, you know, by miracle I guess it worked out and I think to this day we're five years in, in business, uh, serving all of Northwest Arkansas. So, you know, if you need countertops, just search up Rock On Countertops on Facebook and you know, you can see everything we do. Nice,
0: but, Yeah. that's nice. awesome. What What a
1: contribution to the community. Yeah. Like owning your own business and everything, Yep.
2: Anyone who wants to go next? Yeah, um, so I think for me, like when I think about DACA, I think about two years, you know, like a lot of DACA recipients think about. um, But for me, the next big step for me would be law school. Um, And that's a lot. I've always wanted to go further in my education. I think education is super important, you know. It's the fundamentals for a lot of things. And so for me, the one thing when I had, when I got my degree at NWAC, when I got my degrees at U of A, you know, I I held that and I was like, this is mine. Like they might be able to take away my DACA status, but they will not take away my education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for me, law school was the next step for me, Uh, simply not because I can get another degree, but because I feel like it's my responsibility to give back to the community that's been given so much to me. And one way I really enjoy doing is through advocacy and policy work, and um, so for me, that's my next step, and I'm super excited about that, uh, but yeah.
0: And Kevin was an intern for us at the Bell Project, and he did a lot of great work. Uh, I always say Kevin's like the best intern we ever had. Um, he, he contributed so much and had a lot of good energy, so I'm really excited about what you're gonna, what you're gonna do in the future, Kevin.
2: Thank you, thank you, I'm super excited. Hey, Amber.
1: That's awesome. Um, so, I, one of the first things I did was obviously work with my social, right? I wanted to put it to work. Um, and so, I worked for Walmart for corporate for quite a few years, but then I started realizing that our community still needed help. Um, and so, I decided to become a real estate agent. And so, one of my main focuses is helping Docker recipients and I 10 holders um, achieve home ownership. Um, because I think it's it's one of our basic rights um, right now. And I think it puts us in a better situation as far as like landlords and things like that to actually own property instead and set up our kids for generational wealth. And so one of my goals um, has always been trying to find the best avenue for people with ITENS without looping them into precarious situations. There's There's a lot out there that a lot of banks that will loan out to ITINS, but they're asking 20% down. Plus, they set them up with um, certain interest rates that are not fav- favorable for them. And so, um, one of my goals is to treat everyone like if they were family, right? Or like if I, because I've been in that boat, I understand it. And so, um, I'm also working right now with some local banks and some national banks to hopefully do policy change within the banks to improve their ITIN requirements mm. so that. So pa- circling back, our parents deserve something, too. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I was telling my mom, I was like, the U.S. Like, should give you guys an award because <laughs> the DACA recipients have, have established themselves into the workforce that is the United States. And if it weren't for us, I feel like a lot of stuff during COVID would have shut down because yeah. there's a lot of it. I don't think people realize the numbers that we have and that if we weren't here... Um, And then our work ethic and and our adaptability and all of the skills that we've learned because we are in the status um, wouldn't be here benefiting the United States Mm -hmm. like it is. And so um, other than that, too, I'm also part of the New Leaders Council, if anyone's ever interested. It's a free training um, six month institute that helps train leaders in our community, whether that whether you're a small business owner Whether you want to change policy at at the government level, whether you want to run for office, we do that training with you, Um, and it's free. Um, We're actually currently taking applications, so if anyone's interested, um, please let me. I know I'm looking at them both. I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to talk to you after this. Um, But I think it's a great great group, and it's a great way to get exposure across the state because realize that I think the more we realize that – the different communities that are currently are being oppressed and we see our similarities, the more improvement we're gonna see. Um, and it's just reaching out and, and figuring out how we can help each other. Mm-hmm.
0: Any, um, closing off this episode, um, I wanna give you all like the platform to say any, any kind of message that you would like to give to maybe younger folks in the community that are undocumented, I'm talking about, you know, the people still in high school, um, maybe any message of hope or encouragement or motivation that you can give folks. Um, and I'll leave the platform open to anybody who wants to, who would like to start.
1: I can go first. <laughs> um, so what I would say, you know, uh, 2010, Dream Act failed on the floor. Um, we were there and we were there when they were casting the votes. Um, I think it's, it's one of the core memories in my life. And I'll always remember something Carlos Saavedra said that day, was that at least we had each other to hug that day because there were still a lot of people in the shadows that hadn't come out yet and they were dealing with the devastation of it failing on their own so make sure that if if there's someone around you that's currently in that status and you see that they're doing great reach out to them i promise you that they could use some words of encouragement because it's it's really easy for us to put a strong face, but I think there's a lot of times where it's daunting on us and we just don't want to burden people mm-hmm. with it. So if you know someone in, in this in the status, whether it's DACA, whether it's undocumented, whether it's ITEN, whatever it is, reach out to them. Um, it, it provide some words of encouragement for them.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think I'll think I'll piggyback on that one just a little bit. I think a lot of DACA recipients a lot of the DACA recipients I know have been super overachievers you know they have their own businesses they're on the top of their class they do so many things you know they advocate do everything but at the end of the day I feel like they wouldn't be where they're at without the support system they have without the people that you know made those paved stones for them to walk on whether it be family friends counselors guys, uh, you know whoever it was I had so many of those and you know it, and it's simple to to really think like they have someone they're good you know uh, but even reaching out and just being like, hey, like, how can I support you? How can I advocate with you? Like, Maybe you're not in the same steps as them. Maybe you're not in the same shoes, but you can definitely be there to support them. And I know I, I wouldn't be where I am without you know my family, my friends, and everyone else who made that uh, possible. So it, don't give up hope. Just go out and support someone, whether it be someone with DACA or without DACA. Everyone needs a little support and love. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
3: Yeah. And I guess what I would say is, you know, don't give up. I mean, I don't I think I find it messed up, you know, that we're, I guess, categorized as something else. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're all like living beings with hearts. And, you know, we're, we're just trying to, you know, make a living, you know, complete our dreams. So, you know, I just hope the government just one day just realizes and, you know, here's things like this that you know, we're willing to put in the work, you know, we're willing to do what it takes to be a part of this society and, you know, we're not scared of anything, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, oppressed or categorized as something else. We're just, you know, kids, adults,
0: teenagers just trying to, you know, get by. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for those words. Uh, For those that are listening, you know, reach out to your representatives, reach out to your senators, tell them you know, when, when DACA is under attack, to support DACA, but also to support immigration reform, to support legislation that will actually go into to law and, and change um, the law in general. DACA was great, but, you know, there's still folks out there, uh, our parents, our grandparents, uh, folks that never qualified for DACA because they left the country, you know, and weren't here for that that date that you had to be in the country by. There's I know I have several friends that weren't able to qualify because of that. so just continue to support the people in the community. Um, you'll be hearing uh, stories like this out in the community as well. You hear them in schools you hear them you know at community events and, and support people that are going through uh, these kind of situations and uh, and yeah if once once you see a star fundraising in, in November for those DACA scholarships donate you know I'm, I'm reaching out I'm reaching out to you' all white folks in our community too though, especially the ones that have money, put your uh, your, your words where your mouth is, is put your money where your mouth is, <laughs> you and, uh, and donate, you know, donate and support folks in the community, um, specifically, you know, folks that, um, that reach out to you. Not everybody has to be that A-plus student. Not everybody has to own a business or has to, be, has to have, like, some sort of title in the community. Everyone deserves the ability to, uh, to pursue opportunity and to do it for their family as well. Um, so that's the end of the episode for this week. That was episode 143 of the District 3 podcast. Thank you, Ambar Mendez, Kevin Asanza, and Manuel de Leon for joining us this week. And for those listening, we'll catch you all next week.